Father, we thank you. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you. That being reconciled to you, Lord, being refreshed, going from darkness to light, is as simple as opening up the Word of God and saying, okay, Lord, I surrender. I, I pray that everybody in this room, including myself, by your Spirit, would surrender now. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So we're in Mark chapter 14. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus left the temple for the last time. Since coming into Jerusalem five or six days before, he had spent each day prior to this time in Mark 14, teaching to the crowds each day in the temple. During that time, different religious factions, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, priests, scribes came and asked him questions trying to trap him. They did not succeed. We read in Mark chapter 12 that because of Jesus' answers to them, Jesus' answers were so simple but yet at the same time so profound that the persons asking him questions were silenced. Mark 12, 34 says, no one dared ask him any more questions. But what we do know is that though they didn't want to ask any more questions, they wanted to destroy him. So Mark chapter 11, verse 18 says this, and the scribes and chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him, Jesus, for they feared him, Jesus, because all the people were astonished at his teaching. So at the end of chapter 12, Jesus, we read in our study, leaves the temple for the last time at the end of chapter 12. In chapter 13, he describes the circumstances around his future second coming. The Bible says that Jesus came the first time to suffer and die for your sins and to save you. The second time, he will come to establish his kingdom on earth, which will be 1,000 years. That was what chapter 13 about. Here we are in chapter um, 14, verse 10, where again we started off. It says in verse 10, then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray, to betray Jesus to them. And it says, and when they heard it, they were glad. I've read this many times, but this time it hit me. When they heard it, they were glad. They were glad. They were happy. They were giddy. Because here was an opportunity to get rid of Jesus. And when they heard it, they were glad. Now, here's something you never want to do. You never want to read a verse like this, or half a verse. It's half a verse. You never want to read it and say, this verse does not concern me. It concerns you. This is you. 
and me and what we're capable of. Being glad. In this kind of circumstance, someone's talking to us about God. They're talking to us about God. They're talking to us about God, and there's a dark place in our life. There's a, a secret place where we know is there, and it's getting really old. This person talking to me about God, and then something happens. The person moves away, and we're glad. The person, even worse, the person who's talking about God, they fall into sin. We're glad. The Bible says you're capable of that. Whatever you do, don't read a verse like this and say, this verse doesn't concern me. It concerns you. It concerns me. It says that They were glad, and it says they promised to give him money. They promised to give Judas money. Now, here's what's strange. How much money did they give him? Louder. All right. 30 pieces of silver. We know that from the book of Matthew. And here's what's strange. Now, it's not a lot of money at all. So what's with this 30 pieces of silver? Well, it fulfills a prophecy in, in Zechariah, but, but 30 pieces of silver? What, what do we take from that? Some scholars uh, make a big deal, for those of you who like, I mean, this is beyond digging deep. This is like really deep. Uh, Exodus 21.32 says that if an ox gores your servant or slave, the owner of the ox has to give up 30 pieces of silver. And they say, well, well, maybe that's what's going on here and they don't have respect for Jesus. And I, you know, I don't know about that, but this I do know. It wasn't a lot of money at all. Now, what's interesting, for those of you who were with us about five weeks ago when we left off in Mark 14, immediately prior to this, in verses one through nine, you have Mary breaking an alabaster jar. And it was said it was worth 300 days wages. And what did we say that was? Anyone remember how much money that was? I only said it, what, 25 times? My wife said, why did you say that so many times? What was it? $37,000 in today's money. This woman took an alabaster jar of costly perfume, broke it, and poured it on Jesus' head. Thirty-eight grand. Immediately after, this man Judas, who by the way we'll see a little later when Jesus says one of you is going to betray me, no one knew it was him. He was a churchgoer. People in church, there are Judases. And, 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 but, but how much was Judas willing to take? 30 pieces of silver. He did not value Jesus. It just, it's, there's a comparison. And believe me, it's not a coincidence. $38,000 to something like $380. How much do you value Jesus? How much does it take for you to sell him? Your boss asking you to do something at work that's not honest? How much do you value him? 
someone comes against you um, and starts to calling you names because of a, a certain Supreme Court ruling and you shut your mouth as to who you are, how much is he worth to you? Thirty pieces of silver. That's what Judas accepted. I, and, and all these, believe me, all these questions, I, I first ask them to my own heart. How much is Jesus worth to me? Verse 12. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, so this is the Jewish Easter. It's very different what the celebration was for. Easter's about the resurrection. We'll talk a little bit about the Passover. But it was a feast. His disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare that you might eat the Passover? And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And then he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. So there make ready for us. So his disciples went out and came into the city and found it just as, it had, uh, as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. Passover. So let's talk about the Passover, this is a really big deal. It's a really big deal. Kyle, can we have the verse? In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, Christ is our Passover, or Christ our Passover was sacrificed to us. Here they're about to have the Passover feast. What's the Passover? Really quickly, 1,500 years before, the Jews are enslaved in Egypt. They're enslaved in Egypt. And Pharaoh, the king, Egyptian king, won't let them go. God uses 10 plagues to force his hand. And finally, the 10th one, he releases them and they go. And they are delivered from slavery, which, by the way, is what Jesus Christ does for you. <laughs> he releases you from slavery. And... The tenth plague was the plague of the, uh, it, it's the, where of the, what's called the, the death of the firstborn of Egypt, where the angel of death, uh, forcing Pharaoh's hand, went throughout Egypt, and he killed the firstborn of every house. Remember, God forcing the hand to let his people go. Oh, what the Lord will do to bring about your salvation. Man, if you're here and you have not been saved by Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, uh, he, he not only did that, he died for you. He became a bloody mess for you. Um, but anyway, the, the angel of death went and killed the firstborn of every household. Um, but prior to that happening, they went to the Jews. God went to Moses and said, tell the Jews, listen, if you don't want the firstborn, uh, the, the angel of death to come through and Kill your firstborn. You need to slaughter a lamb. And you need to take the blood of that lamb and you need to put some of the blood on the top of your door and some of the blood on each side of the door. And so what you have there is what? The sign of the cross. That started in Exodus. It didn't start in whatever, 100 A.D., 
Uh, it, it started in Exodus. And, and, you know, of course, the blood on the top would drip down um, to the bottom. It's Jesus on the cross there. And that night when the angel of death came by to each house in Egypt who were Jews, the angel would look for what? The blood of the lamb. The, and what, let me tell you what the angel did not do. The angel did not ask at the door, has anyone in here lied to anyone? Has anyone in this house st stolen? Has anyone in this house committed sexual immorality? Has anyone in this house had an abortion? Or uh, has anyone in this house uh, uh, um, killed or murdered or raped or sexually molested? So, no, there was none of those questions. There was only one thing. There was the blood on that door. And if that door was there, that house was blessed by the Lord. That's what Jesus Christ can be to you. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says you get the mark of the blood of the Lamb on your life. No longer does He look at your history. No longer does He look at whatever, that murder, that robbery, that whatever. He looks solely at the, whether the blood... That's why Jesus is Christ called our Passover. Jesus was killed on the Passover. That was a, not a coincidence. It was for all the world to see... This was all brought about by God's redemptive plan for Jesus Christ to die for you on the Passover. And so that's what the Passover is. What about all this stuff about these two guys uh, being uh, sent out in the secrecy? It says actually, read uh, verse read, let me see. Read verse 17 with me. It says, "In the evening he came with the 12." So that means what? Ten of the guys did not know where the Passover feast was. Anyone know why the secrecy? You can just shout it out. Why about why did ten of these guys was it kept in the dark where they would be? What's the first verse we read in verse ten? Huh? Exactly. He knew Judas was going to betray him. He didn't want to tell Judas where they were going to be. He didn't. He wanted time with. He wanted time with, with 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 his disciples. God wants time with you. He desires time with you. He wanted that time. He knew there was a guy who had already accepted money to betray him. He wasn't about to spoil the feast with you with them. Christ, our Passover. Lamb. So uh, verse 18, first one, two, three, four, five, six. It says, now as they sat and ate. As they sat and ate. So here is the Last Supper, the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples. It's the first communion where Jesus eats with these men and during his time with them, he brings out the bread and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this as remembrance of me. Where he takes out the, cu uh, the, the cup of wine and says, uh, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now, different churches, let's just hit the pause button. 
different churches do different things for communion, right? Some churches celebrate communion every Sunday. Other churches do it once every three months. I, I think maybe some even do it once a year. There's no hard and fast rules. There's a freedom. The Bible does not specify anything on the frequency of communion other than it should not be never and it, there should be some kind of regular communion. It doesn't say do it every week. Uh, the, it's Calvary Chapel. Our regular routine is communion on Sunday nights every other month and then Sunday mornings once a month. But there's no rule. When the, Calvary Chapel, when the Bible is silent on something, don't make a rule. That's where legalism just comes in and just destroys everything. There's a freedom. At Calvary Chapel, we do it as a general rule once a month on Sunday morning, but sometimes we do it more than uh, once, and that's going to be today. Uh, we're going to do it again today, even though we, uh, we understand we did it last week. And, and, and I'm excited I, because, uh, listen, uh, the, the Bible says that um, when we approach the communion table and we have communion, the Lord, uh, it's always, the purpose is always the Lord wanting to draw us to him. That is why Jesus has communion. That's why he started it. So I'm excited. We're going to do it two weeks in a row and three times in one week because we did it on Friday night. So we're going to have communion again. And in order to prepare, I am going to take us briefly through what happened at the Last Supper. Now, you don't know what happened at the Last Supper unless you read all four Gospels. We're not going to read all four Gospels, but I'm going to take some from um, each of them. And, and, and my prayer, my prayer for this church, my prayer is that when I tell the whole story of the Last Supper, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to love God more than you ever have before. You know what I believe? Because the Bible teaches what my most important thing about my job is. You know what the most important thing about my job, pastor of Calvary Chapel in the city, is that you love God. Is that you more and more rip your heart open and you love God. They asked Jesus, what's the most important law? In the Bible, and he said that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what I want to, that's why God has communion. That's why we're talking about communion again today, the Last Supper. So let's start what happens in the Last Supper. Again, it says here, it says, uh, in the first six words, it says, now as they sat and ate. So as they sat and ate, the first thing that happened, and you don't have to turn with me. I'm just going to be going through this briefly. And, and if you were there with us on Friday night, you'll remember um, the first thing that happened is Jesus declares to them, he said, uh, in, in, in Luke chapter uh, 22, he, he, he says to them, um, as the meal is, is starting, he says, it is with 
fervent with great desire that I desire to have this meal with you. God created you to love him. He created you for that reason. He didn't create you just to have a contest over how many bowls of pasta you can have each year and how many birthdays and, and how many kids you can get through college. That's not why God created you. He created you to love him. That's why he created you. And, 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 and he says the whole purpose of communion, Luke 22, uh, verse, uh, Luke 22, ra- rather, um, verse, is it, uh, where are we here? Luke 22, verse um, 15, it's with great desire I have desired to eat with you, to be with you, to bless you, so you, to, to be loved by you, to love you back. God loves you back indescribably more than you love him. And so it's with fervent desire that I desire to eat here with you. That's, that's how it all begins. Uh, but then it says that in John uh, chapter 13, um, it says, uh, uh, there's a couple translation, but I, I believe the best one is that as they were eating, it says that in John 13 verse 1, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end as they were eating, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself, poured out water into a basin, and began to wash their feet. Uh, almost naked Savior washing the feet on his knees, washing your feet. The Bible says that on Jesus' return to planet Earth, he is going to be serving you. Is that bizarre or what? That's what it says in the book of Luke. But he's giving, a, 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 that's how much he loves you. Um, but he, 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 he says that, um, it says there that he, is, he, he washes your feet. He washed their feet. He washed their feet during the communion service. This is how much he's trying to make this connection with these guys who had been with him in the trenches for three years. He's washing their feet. Now the next thing that happens, you can go to Mark chapter 14 again with me. Um, It says this, read here, uh, chapter 14, verse 18. As he sat and ate, uh, Jesus said this, He said, assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. Now, there's a lot missing there. There's a lot missing there. In the book of... John, it says that as he says that, verse, John chapter 13, verse 21, says when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit. He was troubled, distressed in his, his spirit and testified and said, most assuredly I say to you, one of you is going to betray me. He's, he's troubled. Now why did he do this? 
Why did he bring this up? Is this like to diss or uh, uh, what do they say today? Cast shade on Judas? Is that what he's doing? No, it's not. It's because he is so, he's got this burden. Have you ever been so distressed and upset that you have to share with those you love? This is what's going on. One of you is going to betray me. That's, that's what he's saying. Now, how do I know that that's what's going on? Among other things, it said trouble in spirit. But all, also, it says Jesus was who? The son of who? God and the son of? Man, which man? The son of? David. Remember the blind beggars crying out to him, Oh, son of David, have mercy on me. All through the Psalms and the life of David, you see a foreshadowing of the life of Christ, including uh, Psalm chapter 55, where David, speaking a foreshadowing of Jesus, being betrayed by Judas, um, David's crying out. He says, I'm going to read it now with you, for it is not an enemy who reproaches me, who comes against me. It's not an enemy. Then I could take it. I could take it if it was one of my enemies who was uh, coming against me and trying to destroy me. But then he goes on, nor is it one who hates me who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. Uh, he, he, some of you know what it's like. I just got a, a, a text yesterday about a, a young man who I know well. Uh, who He just got married. His, his wife just had an affair. And he is devastated. To, to have someone to, who betrays you who, who you took sweet counsel together. Jesus says it was tempted and tested in every single way, just as you. And he's here at the table having the Last Supper. And he begins with, I'm so, I, I, I'm so happy to be here with you. But then he's overcome. The, you see, the, the whole Last Supper is just unbelievably intense where Jesus goes way up and way down. It is a, it's a battle. And, 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 but he's there just persisting, moving forward. This is how much he loves you. Psalm 41, also a foreshadowing of Judas' betrayal. This is David, my own familiar friend whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his lips against me. This is all going on at the Last Supper. It's what's going on. Next thing... It says that in the book of Luke, that happens, the other thing that does happen at the uh, Last Supper is he's doing this. He's washing their feet. He's kind of a mess. Remember, he is, he is completely God and he's completely man. And, 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 and he's, he's, he's really in agony. He's being betrayed by someone who he loves so much. And then what happens, at some point, it says in Luke 22, the disciples began to question themselves. Uh, rather, it says, um, rather, it says, they began to argue amongst themselves which 
who of them would be the greatest. Here is Jesus in full trauma. Desiring just that close closeness and then just trouble in the spirit, distress. I could have taken if it was a Pharisee, if it was the chief priests. I know that they're plotting for my death. I know the Sadducees, the religious political guys have come after against me. I know the Herodians, actually they're the political ones. The Sadducees are just the rich ones who really don't care about. I, know, I can understand if it was one of them, but one of you. One of you is going to betray me. And then, after a while, they start arguing who's the greatest. Like, he's, just been, he's been washing their feet. And after he washes feet, he says, now you go and do likewise. Instead, they're bickering. But our Lord, the Lord that I want you to love with all your, your, your heart, soul, mind, and strength, says to them, He says, listen, the kings of the world exercise authority. And they're called benefactors, meaning, oh, they're so nice. It's like philanthropists. They're so nice. They're giving of themselves. But they exercise lordship. They control the people underneath them. But he says in verse 26 of Luke 22, but not so among you. On the contrary, Luke 22-26 He who is greatest among you let him be the younger and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater? He who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table but I'm among you as one who serves. What a Savior. What a God. Every religion I know, it's all about people serving some false god. (laughs) Trying to satisfy them with works, with money, with whatever they have. We have a Savior who serves us. So let's continue in Mark chapter 15, uh, rather 14. It says he began, verse 19, and they began to be sorrowful and say to one another, by, one by one, is it I? And another says, said, it is I. In John chapter 13, verse 22, do we have that, Caillou? It says they looked to, the disciples looked at one another perplexed about whom he spoke. And then in Matthew 26, 25, uh, it says they were exceedingly sorrowful and each of them began to say, Lord, it is I. I mean, then, so it's him being incredibly sorrowful. This is what's going on at this dinner. It's like, whoa, whoa, we're just, this is charged, highly charged emotions. And, 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 and Jesus is, it goes low and then Jesus goes up and they go up and then they go low. They're exceedingly sorrowful now. Is it I? Am I the one? Am I going to betray the Lord? Am I going to do that? Let's continue reading. And so he answered and said to them, verse 20, it is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. 
The Son of Man indeed goes just as it was written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had never been born. And, and so then he goes on and he's gonna, he has communion. So that's what we're going to do now. If the worship team could come up, we're just going to close with this communion time. And once again, we're going to have the cup. We're going to have the bread. And if you've been asked to pray, if you could come up at this time, if you've been asked to pray. If you've been asked to pray, please come up. Here you have an incredible contrast between, in Mark chapter 14, a woman who gives up $37,000, 300 days wages, and a man who valued Jesus so little, he sold him for something like three or four hundred bucks. And as we take communion, the beauty is this. Jesus lived a perfect life for the purpose of crediting his perfect life to you. He died in order, the Bible says, to pay the penalty for you. Every time you valued him at 30 pieces of silver, you took the silver and ran. Every single time that you have done that. I've done that many times. Before you came to God and after you came to God. Every time you've ever done that or ever will do that. Just throw 30 pieces of silver and run from God. Or collect, rather, collect 30 pieces of silver and run, and, and, and run to the Lord. Run away from the Lord. And, and, and so communion is a time where we remember, wow, what that blood did for me. And the Bible says that there will be a judgment after the time that you die. I've been tracking all the times that it speaks about a judgment after death. It's incredible how many times in the New Testament the judgment is mentioned. What's even more incredible is how many times it mentions that you need to be saved, and so do I. Saved from what? From the judgment. The Bible says that there's only one thing that saves us from the judgment, which, which is death and hell. And it's not to try to appear before God and say, hey, look, I, I'm really like that woman Mary. I, 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 I gave $38,000 at every opportunity whenever it came to a, a compromise. I refused to compromise. I gave $38,000. You haven't done that. Neither have I. Not even Mary, who did it, 
had a record, even close to doing that every time. She needed the blood of Jesus just as much as you and I need the blood of Jesus. The communion is a time where before we take the communion cup, the Bible says this, we need to examine ourselves. We need to examine ourselves. Have I, am I holding on to same, the same sin over and over? Am I holding on to something? And am I just collecting 30 pieces of silver after 30 pieces of silver after 30? And Jesus has just become cheap. The Bible says in Hebrews 6 it's called crucifying the Son of God all over again. Have you been doing that? The good news is time to let go. The blood of Jesus gives you a that, that sacrifice gives you a fresh start, a blank white sheet, the moment you say to God, forgive me, forgive me. I believe what you did for me on the cross, Jesus, forgive me. And that's what communion is about. It's, it's, it's doing business with God. It's also remembering just and being thankful for the glorious thing he's done in our life. So if you could stand up uh, at this time, if you could take a cup, And Solomon or Dave Blades, can you get me a cup? And if there's something that you want to, to pray about prior to communion, now's the time. You just come up and pray about it as we're worshiping and preparing our life, preparing our time, preparing this for this taking of the bread which represents Jesus broken body and 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 taking of the cup if there's anything you'd like to pray about come up as the worship team begins and we'll have communion and we'll close the service